What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where if you want to invest your money in an easy way, use Robinhood. Now, if you want to invest your draft stock for the future of your basketball franchise, use Jalen Hood. Shafino. A. From Vino to Fino. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. And with the 2023 NBA draft over, though the Lakers did not come away with a trade for an established player, they did leave with a Fino, yet another Max for the second straight year in a row, and a couple of intriguing undrafted free agent prospects who everybody is saying are steals. So yeah, the NBA, the 2023 NBA draft is over, and actually, Tommy, for the first time... I feel like we were pretty well-versed and prepared for this draft, and the two guys that the Lakers drafted, we actually talked about extensively, and I actually got the Maxwell Lewis pick right, although in a very roundabout way, because if anybody listened to our penultimate draft predictions podcast, I said that if the Lakers traded down, they would pick Maxwell Lewis, but instead the Lakers traded up from the number 47th pick and somehow got Maxwell at number forty. And we will get into our deeper thoughts on the Lakers' number 17 pick, Jalen Hujafino, and their number 40th pick, Maxwell Lewis. But first, Tommy, how are you feeling after after draft night? Just vibe check. I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, I think, like you said, we know a lot about these guys, which I don't know if that makes me more excited or, or whatever, but I think that helps. I think the draft was really fun this year. Obviously, there was a lot of talent. There were some, like names that we became very familiar with over the course of the last, you know, month or so, uh, who went later than expected. And then some that went like way higher than expected. Um, so it was kind of, it was, it was kind of a fun experience and, you know, excited to see what happens with all these guys. I mean, for sure, we know two of these guys are going to be on our actual roster. We picked up two, two way guys after the draft and then like an exhibit 10 guy. So Seems like the consensus from what I've read so far is is people think we were definitely among the winners of uh, of the uh, draft. And that's usually been the case with the Bus Bros over the last couple of years. Um, so the Lakers were actually able to get a deal done with Indiana, Tommy. It's just not the deal that we expected. Obviously, right. they traded the 47th pick and $4 million in cash to get to the 40th pick. And we can talk later about whether the Lakers knew that Maxwell Lewis was going to be there, or if they knew a handful of their prospects that they like was going to be there. But very shrewd move to pull off before the draft even began. Now, as it pertains to the number 17 pick, though, are you surprised the Lakers didn't deal it? Because I think they tried. Um, yeah. Because I, th- I think them trading number 40 was really to get their Maxwell Lewis type. And I think they would have been content with him. I I would have been content with just Maxwell Lewis because I thought he would go way higher. And I think when we saw, you know, the lead up to the Lakers pick, we heard nothing, right? Shams was tweeting like the picks probably like two to three minutes before it was actually selected. But for the Lakers, it was dead silent. And everybody was just like, 
are they just working the phones like crazy? And I actually think they kind of were. And I, I forgot who reported it, but someone said that Lakers up to the last minute were mulling over a couple different trades. But at the end of the day, they decided that they would just keep their number 17 pick and they didn't find a deal that they liked. But are you somewhat surprised that the Lakers weren't able to trade down and get um, a starter level player? I'm not that surprised. I mean, we don't know what the what the prices were too, right? I think what ended up happening in this draft, right? We talked about the order a lot and we talked about certain guys who could slip and guys like Jet Howard, Kassan Wallace, like they actually ended up going way higher in the lottery than I think most people had seen, um, you know, seen them mocked. Uh, Jordan Hawkins ended up being, uh, you know, right at the end of the lottery, which I think was a little higher. I, you know, then people had him mocked to us or later, I think for the most part. Um, and then, so that ended up in a situation, right, where we got to 15 and you and I were texting during this time and we were like, okay, there's two picks before us and Kobe Bufkin and Keontae George are still on the board. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I, do both of these teams need guards? I mean, these are clearly the two best players left. And of course, those were the two who went, right? Yeah. And so I think like Jalen hood Shafina, like we we definitely covered him. Frankly, he's someone I thought that it would never really be an option because I always saw yeah. him mocked in the lottery. Um, the Lakers scouts and, and, you know, the bus bros had him in the lottery. So as a lottery level talent, I guess like when you're trading down, right? Like it, it, if I was looking around the rest of the first round and there were a bunch of other teams that were doing, you know, trade downs, there were some like the Mavericks did it. Uh, with the Thunder, and then there was like the Pacers and Wizards just swap seven and eight around the our Celtics. range. And the Celtics, the Celtics were right? the only ones in like the later first that in the kept later first moving and they up. Kept, down. Yeah, they kept trading down, right? So that's like maybe a little different. So like in our range, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, right? When we were on the clock, there were rumors that the Rockets were trying to move up. In hindsight, I actually think they were trying to move up to get Cam Whitmore. Um, so they ended up getting him anyway at twenty. Uh, but, you know, there were rumors they were trying to move up, but it didn't really feel... I mean, like, you know, the Nets had multiple picks. They could have traded down. They did not. Um, the Blazers could have traded down, you know, from 23. Uh, you know, you look down the board and there were some options and it seems like teams weren't doing it. So all you can do is what's presented to you. You know, we had all these ideas about Dorian Finney-Smith and you know, trading down to the Nets and trading down with the Pacers and like a Buddy Heald deal. And it just like those things, I you know, we don't know exactly what was offered. We can kind of pontificate, but like, who knows? And and since we had a lottery level talent available at 17, I think it makes sense to just take that guy. And I think, you know, that's kind of supported by the fact that when you look from like picks 18 through 30 in this draft, I don't know that there's anyone in that range that I think is, oh yeah, you definitely take that guy over like a 20 year old Jalen Hood Shafino, um, who has like really lottery level upside. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I'm still surprised that we didn't try to get some sort of starter level player, but at the end of the day, I kind of landed in the same sort of plane as you, because at, Leading up to this draft, we kept saying this is such a deep, deep draft and it's the draft to trade down in and everybody should be trading down. Well, Tommy, every team thinks that, you know, so if every team knows that it's a very deep draft and that this is a draft that everybody wants to trade down in, they probably already like their spot, you know, so why would they want to give up more assets to just to trade up if they know that player is going to come back to them anyways, you know, so I think exactly. to your point, the market was pretty dry because it was a deep draft. I think if it actually, if it wasn't a deep draft, then the 17th pick would have held way more value for teams, right? And to your point, Cam Whitmore was the one like last shining gem that if a team were to move up for, they would have done it with the number 17th pick if we had gotten Cam Whitmore. Um, so I guess you can probably debate whether or not the Lakers should have gone Cam Whitmore, but there were medical concerns. Although he said he's totally fine, his body's fine. There were some interview concerns, but from what I've heard from scouts that know Cam Whitmore, it's more about him being an introvert than anything else. So maybe we will always debate the Cam Whitmore versus Jalen hood Shafino thing. But at the end of the day, JHS, the reason why I did not predict him going to the Lakers was because 
he had risen his draft stock up to the 11 to 14 level, you know? And I did think he was going to be a lottery prospect that was going to go to the Utah Jazz or the Toronto Raptors. And he ended up slipping to number 17. And, you know, and I, we, we can get to this too, but I think, you know, if the Lakers didn't find the deal that they wanted or, or thought that a deal would be too rich for, you know, moving down, they got the prospect, Tommy, that I think a lot of teams will still be interested in down the line if a trade arises. And not to say that I always I already want to ship JHS out, you know, but I'm just keeping things practical, right? In terms of an asset, I think the Lakers wanted to take the best fit for them, but also an asset that other teams would covet if it ever comes down to that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Let's get into Jalen hood Shafino, the number 17th pick. Um, we talked a lot about him in the last podcast, but we will reiterate some of our same points, but then also talk about his fit on the Lakers because we did not have him pegged as one of our picks. Having said that, you know, like you mentioned, after Kaysen Wallace went, after Kobe Bufkin went, after Keontae George went, and you and I were going back and forth on text, I was like, oh my God, we are so close to Keontae. Let's do (laughs) this. Let's get the firecracker explosive scoring guard. But of course, the Utah Jazz took him. Um, But after those three went off the board, Jalen Huchifino was literally the best combo guard prospect left outside of maybe Nick Smith Jr. But Nick Smith Jr. I feel like has a lot more question marks to him and is a lot frailer. And that he's more of a project than JHS. There's a reason opinion. he went so much later. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it says it says something too that the, the Lakers passed on a clutch client like Nick Smith, right? And went with Jalen Hood. Um, so given that... I think it was great value for that position. Now, Tommy, I will I will still argue that, you know, if the Lakers maybe could have done like a shrewd move like the Dallas Mavericks to get Rashawn Holmes for a traded player exception or something, we didn't have one, obviously, but if we could have turned Mo Bamba into a TPE, gotten Rashawn Holmes in the 24th pick, we still could have gotten a Ben Shepard, who I kind of like better than JHS, but I'm not going to say anything to put a, put, a, put a wet blanket on this. Um, but... Having said that, at 17, JHS, I think, is a great value pick. Um, so I'm I'm going to caveat what I say about JHS here because it's going to sound like I'm down on him, but I actually think I have a very level-headed take on JHS. I'm excited about him, but I have some thoughts given the Lakers' context and the vacuum that we're working in. Um, so... Yeah, I think he was the best prospect available at number 17, especially the best combo prospect. So here are the deets. You guys probably know it. 6'5", 6'10", wingspan, which is insane. I don't want to, like, I, I want to make sure that we highlight that. 6'10", wingspan. Um, big Kobe fan, big Lakers fan, Mamba mentality in his interviews. All of that is really awesome. Um, his college stats are kind of subpar, 13.5 points, 4 rebounds, 3.7 assists, 0.8 steals, 42% from the field, 33% from 3, hitting 1.2 a game. But if you actually watch him play, as many have already noted, he plays with great pace and control. He can get to his spots in the mid-range. He has really crafty, tight handles. And even though he does have some D'Angelo Russell-type crafty tendencies to his offensive game, especially in the mid-range... He has more physicality and a better body and frame than D'Lo does, that he can push his way off of guys. Um, and so I mentioned it in the last podcast, Tommy, but in the mid-range, especially when you see him pull up for that sweet, sweet jump shot of his, he looks like Jamal Murray. Like the way that he navigates screens, the way that he attacks drop coverages and creates that crazy space the way he freezes bigger defenders and can pull up on a dime and then square himself up mid-air, the lift that he gets on those mid-range jump shots are so clean, despite him maybe curling off of a pick or being contested. Like, these are elite mid-range jump shot techniques that he's pulling off in the vein of a Jamal Murray, in the vein of a CJ McCollum. So on a high-end spectrum, if I'm thinking about his ceiling, I'm like, that's Jamal Murray. Now... He does not get to the basket a lot. He's not aggressive attacking it into the paint. That's where you kind of get the D'Lo similarities. Um, And then one thing that separates him from D'Lo is that D'Lo was a great three-point shooter and has always been a really high-volume three-point shooter. Jalen Huchifino, for whatever reason, is not a volume three-point shooter. Um, He he did hit 1.2 
last season, and he did have a couple games in college where he hit five threes. He hit six of nine for three. So he can definitely get hot from that range, right? But so far, he hasn't put it all together. And Tommy, I actually looked at his high school stats to see whether or not he was a better three-point shooter back then. Um, But his senior year at Mount Verde, and here's another connection to D'Angelo Russell, who also was a Mount Verde Academy player. Um, His senior season with Mount Verde Academy, he shot 41% from the field and 27% from three. He shot 13 of 47 from three through 17 games and only 74% from three. So so that's kind of not encouraging. Um, He averaged 12.6 assists, 1.5 steals that senior year. He was teammates with Derek Whitehead. Having said that, he was still a top 25 high school recruit, five-star high school recruit. Um, But overall, when you see him play, he is aesthetically pleasing to watch. Very fluid. I can see why the Lakers would gravitate to... I I can see why the Lakers would gravitate towards a guard like him, given the fact that Jamal Murray just absolutely tore us to shreds. And I can see the vision with um, Jalen Huchifino maybe one day doing that. And then uh, he's a really good, really good and solid playmaker, especially in the pick and roll. Although I wouldn't overrate his playmaking just yet because his assisted turnover ratio in college was kind of uh, kind of porous. 3.7 assists to 2.8 turnovers. So while he looks controlled, he has his pace, he doesn't get sped up, et cetera, et cetera, like he also does make some pretty careless passes. But the one thing, the last thing that I want to highlight about JHS is his defense because with his frame, his physicality, and also his tenacity, I think that's what's going to set him apart from maybe the craftier guards like D'Angelo Russell or even like a CJ McCollum. Because when I was watching him play D and he was bodying guys up and like fighting through screens, Tommy, he kind of reminded me of Lonzo Ball, actually, on defense. Um, Really good on-ball pressure. He's really being physical, bodying people up. And he also has great quick hands to get steals. So if, if, there, if there was anything that I would like to highlight about JHS outside of his feel for the game and his mid-range jump shooting, it would be the defense. But what are your thoughts on JHS? So I agree with pretty much everything you say. So, I mean, for purposes of just not repeating, I, I think, like, I mentioned this when we talked about him during the scouting report uh, pods, but, like, his form from deep is is wonky. I mean, to, to, to like put it at best, it's weird because like he is so smooth from the mid range. And so you wonder kind of like what's going on there. It's like when you see him shoot these threes in college, he has this, like when he's moving laterally, like around a screen on the perimeter, or you know how like guys drop to the level of the ball when someone drives and he like puts himself in, in like a passing lane for the driver. And he's like moving side to side to do that. Right. If he catches it, wide open and shoots it it feels like i mean his shots are they're not like near misses you know what i mean they're like all over the map and you mentioned he can get hot but like some of these threes are just like horrific bricks um you know air balls i mean like it it's just like such a stark contrast um the thing that is discouraging about him for this sort of team and you know kind of maybe limits what what he might be as like a first year impact player is the fact that not only was he sort of a mediocre three point shooter in college, but he shot 31% on catch and shoot threes, which is not very encouraging. I mean, we Mm -hmm. looked at you and I were texting about this right during the draft, but Austin Reeves as a senior at Oklahoma had a horrific three point shooting year, which you would never know. Cause like basically the second he came into the NBA, I'm like even remembering the preseason of his rookie year, like he was good enough. I mean, he obviously got much better last year, but he was, a, he, he looked like he could shoot a three point shot. And so when you dug into the numbers, it was like, Oh, you know, Wichita state, his, his first stop in college, like he actually shot much better and he was playing more of like a spot up shooting role. And as he got deeper into his career at Oklahoma, you know, as a, certainly as a senior, he was playing more on ball and taking a much higher degree of difficulty, you know, shots. And, and so maybe, you know, there, there was some reason for optimism. The thing with JHS is I don't know that we have that same reason for optimism, right? Like he only has the one year sample size with Indiana. He, and I gave you his high school stats. It's not great. He, either. Exactly. His high school stats, not great either. And then the catch and shoot numbers also not good. So it's not like, Oh, he was like their point guard. And blah, blah, blah. I I mean, look, at the end of the day, this guy, you know, when we talked about these guards, 
at the time we did the 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 guard scouting podcast, Kobe Bufkin was mocked by the Ringer at twelve. Uh, Keontae George was fourteen. Kason Wallace was sixteen. Nick Smith was twenty, and Jalen Hutchinson was their second ranked guard in this range at thirteen. So like. I think we, you know, he, you know, you mentioned this earlier. Part of what you do here is we effectively had a lotto pick. We had a lot of level talent drop to us. You have to take that guy because, like, first of all, if he reaches his potential, you have a legit lot NBA lotto, you know, player on your roster. If he doesn't, he's going to be intriguing for many teams, sort of in the same way that Cam Whitmore was when he started falling down the draft. Like, I bet you a lot of teams were kind of hard on J- high on Jalen Hutchinson, and they didn't expect him to drop that far. Um, the thing that gives me optimism for his immediate impact is the fact that he is just like an elite. I, maybe elite is too strong. It's certainly at the college level, he was a pretty elite defender, um, especially on ball. He, especially on ball, and so like as a bench point guard, you know, which presumably that would be his role as a rookie. Um, you can see how he might be able to, you know, give you some sort of impact. It's just like, you know, we talked so much during the Denver series and post Denver series about the importance of having these bigger guards um, who can defend, you know, we obviously we have one in Austin D'Lo is a question mark, but you know, he's not a bad defender and adding another one to the mix. Plus we already have Max Christie on the roster who can really defend bigger twos and, and threes. Um, it, it's kind of, you sort of see the vision for what the front office is thinking about with this backcourt rotation. Um, you know, as good at, and as veteran as some guys like Dennis Schroeder would be for this roster, it, he's still 6-1. And we see how those guys get exploited in the playoffs. And even though Jalen Hood-Shafino is a rookie, when we're talking about like 10-minute spells... He doesn't need to score. He doesn't need to be a big-time playmaker his rookie year. If he could just give us 10 minutes of defense, that's, like, a tremendous value for, like, a uh, contending team. So, you know, the nice thing for him is he's going to be able to sort of, you know, come up in an an environment that, like, yeah, there's going to be pressure because this team is going to have championship goals next year. Um, But at the same time, there's going to be so much talent around him. This is not like a... You know, the last time the Lakers drafted a lottery-level talent, they were a lottery-level team. Um, and so those types of teams put a lot of pressure on rookies to produce. And that's just not going to be the case for him. He's kind of going to be able to do what he likes to do and and kind of come into his own, like, a, at his own pace, which is nice. Yeah, so you already kind of went into the Lakers' fit section of things and so yeah I think the Lakers like these big guards who are versatile and and can kind of do a little bit of everything and JHS certainly fits that mold so it's almost like you can modularly move around our guards Tommy to we've already seen how well D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves mesh together you can also put D'Angelo Russell and Jalen Huchifino together because JHS is a defender right you can also put JHS and Austin Reeves together because they're kind of the same player. Austin Reeves can give more of the spacing. And then you can also see, and we're going to see it as soon as Summer League, you can put JHS and Max Christie together. So I kind of like how you can modularly move around each of our guards and they can all sort of shoot, dribble the ball. Obviously for JHS, it's shoot in the mid-range, but that's still valuable. And so I like the Rubik's the Rubik's cubing that we're able to do at the guard position to always have versatility on the floor. Fit-wise on offense, though, next to a LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the fit seems clunky because he's the type of guy who, as we mentioned, he's not a spacer yet. He's not a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter yet. He needs the ball in his hands to excel. So I think to start off, Tommy, I think he's going to need to play almost like a a mini Bruce Brown role for us where, or a Christian Braun role, you know, where he just plays tough defense. He cuts off ball. If he gets a swing, swing pass on the perimeter, he takes a one, two, one to two step dribble in for a mid range pull up to attack the closeout stuff like that, but not do too much. Um, I'm sure he'll get some spells on the ball and try and play that Dennis Schroeder role and eventually replace Dennis Schroeder. And from that respect I think that's a pretty big upgrade no shade on Dennis Schroeder because obviously JHS is not as seasoned as him yet but in terms of if you can project out who JHS can be like 
he's everything we wanted Dennis Schroeder to be. You know what I mean? Outside of being a downhill paint threat. But with respect to, he's the same pesky defender Schroeder is, but he's more physical and he has way more size. He's a better, he's a better, more natural feel playmaker than Dennis Schroeder is. And he's obviously a better mid-range shooter with that size as well. So from looking at things from that respect into the future, I like where he slots in. And then if he's able to hit his ceiling and continue to develop, especially that three-point shot, then I could also see him being in that starting combo guard role, whether it's at the one or the two. Um, But for right now, his floor to me, Tommy, is like a Dante DiVincenzo, Bruce Brown type of connector. And Bruce Brown's Florida stats in college are actually eerily similar to uh, Jalen Huchifino because Bruce Brown was a point guard, if people remember. He was a point guard in college. He averaged 12 points, four assists, uh, 34% from three, hitting one a game his first year. And then that went down to 27% the second year, hitting 0.8 a game. So Bruce Brown was this type of, you know, point guard who played defense but couldn't really shoot, but he could kind of shoot. So at his base level floor, I think that's who Jalen Hood Shafino could be. And then as you continue to rise, you can also see him being like a Derek White type player because as opposed to Bruce Brown, I don't think Jalen Hood is ever going to be the athletic explosive type to attack the paint like Bruce Brown does. But I do see him being that sort of connector piece that Derek White is in the mid-range. Eventually he finds his three-point shot, yada, yada. And then if you want to take it three step, three levels up, Tommy, that's where you can get, if he, if his three-point shot comes around, I could really see him being that Jamal Murray, CJ McCollum type of player um, who just can kill you in the mid-range with his crafty dribbles, putting you in jail and pulling up out of nowhere. Um, I've also heard a Deron Williams comp, which is interesting. I think if he can get his, continue to progress in his playmaking, I could see that as well, but... That's how I sort of see his trajectory. Although I want people to, I don't want people to overrate his playmaking right now. Because again, 3.7 assists, 2.8 turnovers. If you watch his highlights, he looks like the best passer ever, right? But if you only watch people's highlights, they always look like they're amazing. So he still has work to do on the playmaking end of things. Uh, so And there's also going to be an adjustment. Uh, in comparison, D'Angelo Russell at Ohio State, 5 assists, 2.9 turnovers. Derek White, 4.4 assists, 2.4 turnovers. So 3.7 and 2.8 is not great, but I do have yeah. high hopes for Jalen hood Shafino because he does seem like a very smart player. But any last thoughts on Jalen Hood and any floor-to-ceiling comps you have? So the last thoughts, I mean, I think, you know, again, just comparing him to these other guards we were looking at, and I'll just say the names again, Kobe, Kobe Bufkin, Keontae George, Nick Smith, Kassan Wallace, like, of those guys, Jalen Hood-Shafino is maybe the least advanced in terms of his ability to take you one-on-one, right? Like, take you, like you, you're like you matched up with him one-on-one on the perimeter, and he's just going to take you off the dribble and make something happen, right? Especially going to the rim, where he is super, super effective, and this is what's going to translate, I think, into our offense. He's like, a, a, I think at the college level, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I want to say he was like a 90th plus percentile in terms of his efficiency as a pick and roll ball handler, whether that was like creating a play for someone yeah. else or creating his own shot. Like he's got a, I, we've talked about the fl- uh, mid-range game. He's got like a really nice floater game. Um, I It is funny that you mentioned the Lonzo ball thing when we first started talking about this. I think he has like less of the, pure playmaking instincts and skill that Lonzo Ball had, certainly at this age. Um, But a lot of what he does feels like what we wanted Lonzo to do, but Lonzo just never got there. Like, we wanted Lonzo to be a pick-and-roll guy who could come off, get his man, you know, come off the pick, get his man in jail, and hit a little floater. And he just never really got there, right? Um, And so, like, if Jalen Hichifino can do that, you know... We saw, like, I mean, two of his most, uh, two of his highest scoring games in college were against Purdue, right? Which is another elite college basketball team this year. And part of the reason he cooked those te- that team was because they have Zach Eady and they play drop coverage on defense. And so, you know, Jalen and Shafino, yes, he can't shoot the three, but if you drop on him and sort of give him that space, he's already shown, at least at the college level, he can close that space and hit a jump shot. So, 
he's going to have some ability to contribute. And the thing that actually concerns me more than the shooting and more than anything else is what you sort of mentioned at the end there, which is the turnovers. His assisted turnover ratio is just, I mean, again, he was just a freshman at Indiana, but like, it's not what, you know, you're really necessarily looking for from a guy who kind of is, is, uh, you know, he, he is, he, we know he could play both guard spots, but he's really more of a point guard. Um, so, you know, he has to clean that stuff up. You talked about the D'Angelo comps and, and sort of the similarities there. It's like interesting because Jalen and Shafina like simultaneously seems so solid with his handle. I don't know if you saw the clips that the Lakers posted from his workout and he's just like dribbling the ball like crazy. I mean, like I, for a 20 year old, he's really, really developed in that respect. But then at the same time, you kind of see him make these like D like lackadaisical, like just crossover dribble in front of his body, in front of the defender, like in the middle of the court for no reason, like, you know, decisions and it leads to problems. So all that stuff is going to have to be cleaned up. But again, he's a prospect. He's, he's, no one is perfect at this, uh, at this level. And I think of the options, he is the best. So, you know, I don't know about floor and ceiling type guys. I think when we did this last time, I kind of compared him to like a Brogdon or like a Halliburton type of player. You know, who knows if he gets to like that level, but if he can, if he can just give a solid defense and some ability to handle the ball uh, when, you know, our, our starting guards go to the bench, I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, so there was one other comp, a Spencer Dinwiddie comp, which I actually thought was kind of apt a little bit, but I was like, who's a guard who doesn't shoot threes but can kind of shoot threes but not at an efficient or high-volume level? And Spencer Dinwiddie's done a much better job of this more recently, but in his prime, he was kind of teetering back and forth between being like a 1.3, 1.5, 3-pointers made sort of guard, combo guard. The only distinction I'd make between him and Spencer Dinwiddie, though, is Spencer Dinwiddie gets to the line a lot. And he attacks the rim a lot. And that that's my only other concern with JHS is that he's not an aggressive rim attacker. He lives in the mid-range. And that's another reason why I kind of preferred Keontae George over him because Keontae George got to the line a lot, even in college, you know? And so if, if that's something he can continue to work on because, I mean, his physical build is right there, you know? He's definitely not like an Austin Reeves type where he'll put his body into harm's way and just like very brashly try and get all these and ones he's a very smooth artistic creative player in the mid-range you know he has amazingly beautiful floaters and counters but not in the paint so we'll see how all of that progresses but i'm excited to have him on this team especially somebody who seems like such a high character guy who obviously knows what it means to wear the purple and gold and all this stuff so all the intangibles seem to be there um but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to go on this journey with a JHS, a.k.a. Fino, as they call him. All right, so let's take it to break. When we return, let's get into the prospect we're all super excited about, Mr. Maxwellian Lewis. Okay, we'll catch you guys after the break. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. All right, so we are back. Tommy, we got another Max this year. Another Mad Max. Maxwell Lewis, 6'7", seven, seven foot wingspan out of Pepperdine. We covered him extensively in the last pod. I predicted him to be the Lakers pick in the last pod if they traded down, but they traded up to get him. I mean, this guy, he's 21 years old, so he's not 19 like Jalen Huchifino or some of these other younger prospects, but we've gotten a bigger sample size of him. And this year he really grew 17.6 rebounds, three assists, 47% from the field, 35% from three, hitting 1.5 a game, 0.8 steals, 0.8 blocks. Um, he's got a little bit of everything offensively outside of just, you know, the the length. But Maxwell Lewis was 61st percentile in points per shot um, on off-the-dribble jumpers. He was 72nd percentile on shots at the rim. But here's the kicker. He was 91st percentile on catch-and-shoot jumpers, Tommy. 
That is a translatable skill. So I will say his shot is a little bit weird because it's low and he shoots it in front of his face, but he gets it off very easily and he's just the knockdown three-point shooter. So I'm not going to question his mechanics. Although on the next level, you're like, well, can he get it off quick enough against taller, longer defenders? That's That's certainly a question. But I have heard from multiple people who have seen this kid work out in person, Tommy, including Albert Gim from No Ceilings, uh, from the No Ceilings Draft Collective when he was on this podcast for our draft deep dive. But I've heard from multiple people that apparently when they've seen him work out, and I know this is, this is a workout practice um, sort of uh, story, but apparently this kid really does not miss three-point shots. Like he refuses to miss. And Rafael Barlow, who hosts the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, said that he was there for Maxwell Lewis's combine workout in Chicago, and he's seen a bazillion of these types of workouts with all sorts of prospects, guys who are going to go in the lottery, guys who are going to be first-rounders, second-rounders, etc. And he said, it's what, he said that Maxwell Lewis's combine workout in Chicago was one of the most impressive workouts he's ever seen. So much so that Maxwell's trainer asked Raphael himself to send them the raw footage of that workout so they could send it to different teams. So just to let you know how much Maxwell Lewis impressed in combine workouts, but also team-specific workouts as well. Apparently, he had a really good workout with the Lakers. Why he slipped to 40, I don't know. You can add your conspiracy theories about the Lakers making sure he slipped or his agent making sure he slipped, given he's a Pepperdine Malibu Kobe Lakers fanboy who apparently also loves Squid Game. That's one of his favorite shows. Shout out Squid Game. Um, but <laughs> Maxwell Lewis, and I, I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I've after watching even more tape, it, it's even more solidified. On offense, he reminds me of a shorter Brandon Ingram. He's so lanky, and he uses these very long strides to get his shots. Especially when he crosses people over, you'll see that long B.I. hezzy dribble that B.I. loves to do to create so much space. Um, And he just knows how to get to his spots in the mid-range. And then he uses really advanced footwork. He has a subtle... He has a subtle, he has subtle ball and shot fakes where all of a sudden he'll just explode to the rim in a very fluid fashion. And he keeps his dribble low. He glides his way to the rim. Um, other times, because he is shorter than Ingram, he has more control over the ball than Ingram did. And he has a like more, I guess, grounded base. And in those times, he'll look like a more fluid and he'll look like a frailer version of Jalen Brown or Bradley Beal, operating savvily in the mid-range and in the post. Overall, he's a very offensively, offensively versatile player, and so far I've just talked about his on-ball stuff, right? But actually, off-ball, he's a really good cutter, and he was actually the 79th per- he was in the 79th percentile in points per possessions on cuts. And then, as I mentioned, being the in the... 91st percentile on catch-and-shoot jumpers. If you extend that out to the three-point line, Tommy, Maxwell Lewis was 44% on catch-and-shoot threes this past year. So he is already a good off-ball player as well, even if you take away all the on-ball creation stuff. On top of that, he really improved this past year as a playmaker. Very underrated playmaker, actually. Three assists, showed some flashes in the pick-and-roll. A very good connector piece, much in the same way JHS is. Um, the only concern is the defensive part of things. Um, apparently, with regards to defense, he has poor defensive awareness and engagement, particularly off-ball and team defense-wise. But I think he also improved throughout the course of the year, which is the most important part. And also, he just has the innate physical tools that are there. I think with proper strength and conditioning and the proper defensive scheme, he can easily be taught to hone in on that end of the floor, given the fact that his defensive weaknesses are weaknesses that pretty much every prospect deals with, even the really great defenders, because usually the great defenders are strictly on-ball defenders, right? And then off-ball and team defense-wise, they get lost or are sort of spacey airheads. And so far, apparently that's been Maxwell Lewis's um, MO on the defensive end. But Again, the measurables are there. Six, seven, seven foot wingspan. He has sneaky athleticism, not always super explosive because he is pretty crafty with his moves. But yeah, what are your thoughts on Maxwell Lewis? Because this is a guy that I really wanted the Lakers to get, and we got him somehow in the 40th pick. And the Bus Brothers had ample opportunities to watch this kid in Pepperdine, so it makes a lot of sense. 
I'm really excited about Max Lewis. I mean, I don't know that he... I don't know how much, like, he actually fell, right? I mean, it's... He was projected to be a first-rounder for sure. I think most of us saw that. But he was projected to be, like, among the later first-round picks. So it's like, once you get from, like, 30 to 40, it's like everyone is just sort of taking, like, who they had, right, on their board. And everyone's board is going to be slightly different. And so guys can start to slip, like, 10 spots in that range. It's like, you're not really the level of talent is not necessarily changing that much. I, I, I'm i really, really happy we got him at 40 because he. I don't think he would have been there at 47. So it kind of makes the trade-up feel like super worth it because it does feel like you added another late first potentially. Um, sort of the same way like getting Matt, Max Christie last year sort of felt like you were adding a late first in terms of uh, in terms of like long-term talent. I think the interesting thing about Lewis is like I always sort of, when we had been talking about this stuff, um, in, in his scouting previously, I always sort of viewed him as like a project player. But watching, I was going to contest his... you on that, dude. I was going to oh, yeah, be like, like, actually, between both of them, I think Maxwell is con- contribute oh. next year. But go ahead. Oh, no, exactly. But that's what I was saying. After we after we drafted him, and I st- started digging in a little more, right? Because it's like now we know these are our two guys. Maxwell Lewis is actually like more NBA ready than Jalen Hachifino, yeah. in my opinion. Um, I don't know that he's going to play necessarily. I think a big part of whether he's able to play is going to be how well he, you know, competes defensively. Um, but he can score, man. I mean, it's like he is shot 35% from three at Pepperdine, but he's taking like tough, sh- he's taking like NBA style yeah. shots. He's not taking like, let me spot up in the corner, Anthony Brown at Stanford, you know, style shots. He's taking step backs, one-on-one off the dribble, like, Catch and, and the shoot. Anthony Brown shade that we've been throwing on this podcast. I know, sorry, Anthony Brown, if you if you listen to us. <laughs> Could you imagine if Anthony Brown listens to this podcast? Like, what is that Oh, for we had such nowadays? high hopes for him. But yeah, shout out Anthony Brown. You're still Shout out Anthony Brown. Great guy. We still love you. Um, but yeah, no, it's, you know, he, he he's taken tough shots. I think the thing that, like, look, at, at that pick, personally, everyone has their own guy, right? And it's like you see this on Lakers Twitter. Like, people become enamored with their own players, like, during the scouting process. And who really knows? Like, I know Saidi Sissoko or whatever that ended up going four spots later was a name that people liked. Amari Bailey went the next pick. That was another person who I had kind of high. I mean, I get considering we ended up going guard, a combo guard in the first round, you know, Max Lewis is exactly the type of player we were kind of hoping that we would pick last year. Remember, like we were going yeah. into the season with with uh, obviously Russ still on the roster and, you know, sort of not knowing how we were going to able be able to add big wing depth. And then, you know, through this course of 2022 draft scouting, we kind of discovered that there were a bunch of bigger wings who would be available in the early second round. You know, you probably remember the names better than I do, right? But we ended up taking Max Christie instead of any of those guys that we sort of had on our list and it ended up working out. But Maxwell Lewis is like the type of guy that we were like thinking about last year. Like he's described as like a three and D guy, but I just feel like that sells him short. There's not a lot of six, seven guys who can do the types of things that he does with the ball. Um, so I'm excited. I mean, I'm, I'm between the, all these guys, right. I, I kind of want to see how they look in summer league against like, you know, it's not necessarily real NBA, you know, actual like regular season talent, but it's going to be, especially for Max Lewis coming from Pepperdine, it's going to be like a big step up in competition. And so like, how do those guys rise to the occasion? I think it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but Maxwell Lewis has to be one of the most recent like first round draft picks we've had that's actually like a six seven wing right the last one i can remember is brandon ingram right yeah i think you're right i mean i mean it depends on how you classify Christie, but like i i consider Christie more of like a shooting guard with good length i, I so, do too yeah because because maxwell lewis has like a legit seven foot wingspan and he's six he's six six without shoes so he's six seven you know in the nba yeah. and yeah. so I'm very excited about that and the fact that this dude has so much in his bag. I like the comps that he presented for himself, actually, his aspirational comps. He mentioned Mikael Bridges. Obviously, he's a little shorter than Mikael. But if he's thinking that way in terms of being that 3 and D guy who, when given the opportunity, can do stuff with the ball, that's amazing. 
And he yeah. also gave a Rudy Gay comp, which I think is apt as well, like a sh- shorter Rudy Gay, because he does like I to operate in the mid-range, and he can do a lot. But the thing, again, that excites me is the off-ball catch-and-shoot numbers, the off-ball cutting numbers. Because if we're talking about what he can do next year as a Lakers, like, Lakers fit-wise, I think he can take on the Troy Brown Jr. role, you know? And at worst, maybe just be the Troy Brown Jr. that we saw last year, you know? Maybe he takes a little bit of time in the NBA to get his three-point shooting underway, but he'll have games like Troy Brown did where he'll get hot for four threes in a row, right? But overall, I think if he can hone in defensively, get his body, continue to get his body right, I have high hopes for him even just as a as that 3 and D Troy Brown connector piece. And then also, if you give him the ball, if we need a bucket, uh, shot clock's running down, just give it to, you know, Maxwell Lewis to create a shot. He can easily do that, I feel like. And so I, I feel like he's like our Stanley Johnson, Troy Brown Jr. fusion with offensive upside, you know? So I'm very excited to see him play alongside Max Christie, JHS in, in Summer League because he slots in very perfectly into that small forward role and... I feel like we have a lot of we're starting to get have a lot of options now, Tommy, between Max, maybe JHS down the line, maybe Maxwell down the line of dudes we can throw at the Jamal Murray type. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like that's where we've honed in on like, can we stop this six five guard who can cut us up in the mid range? Because Dennis Schroeder, Austin Reeves, Jared Vanderbilt weren't cutting it. And I feel like now we're starting to grow our our crop and army of like six five, six six, six seven guys who can fight through screens and stick with those types of players on top of the fact that, again, JHS can mimic some of what Jamal Murray does on the offensive end in the mid-range. But, yeah, I am very excited about Maxwell Lewis. Um, as I mentioned, I would <laughs> So I, I know this is coulda, woulda, shoulda, but do you think if the Lakers had known that they would get Maxwell Lewis at 40, they would have been more okay about trading 17? I don't I personally don't and and the only reason is this, right? Like we all are going to have our own views on Jalen Hinchfino, but the reality is the Lakers had him pegged as a lottery level talent. And we don't know who else they had right left on the board pegged as a lottery level talent. And the fact of the NBA and not to like steal this is not exactly what Dr. Buss said, right? But like not to steal his quote, but you know, he you can't like in the NBA one one dime is not equal to like two nickels. You know, it's like if you have the chance to have one dime or two nickels, you have to take the dime every time, right? So like, I think that's sort of the same idea. Yes, we could have traded down to get like two players instead of just having the one or like maybe trading down to get like a pick. Like, you know, the Kings ended up trading out of 24, right? So it's like trade down to 24 and uh, get like another Uh, another pick from the Kings, like 38 or something like that, right? Like you can make all those kinds of arguments, but if you really had Jalen Hood-Shafino as a number 17, as as a true lottery level talent in this deep kind of stack draft, I think you just have to take him at that point. Yeah, that's fair. When you said dime, that Mario song came up, the, you know, you're a dime plus 99, don't even know what you're worth. Uh, I don't know. You should let me love you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but those are all fair points. I guess the only reason why I think about that is because of how long the Lakers took to make that pick and their shuffling. We'll never know what happened behind the scenes, or maybe we will. Um, But yes, overall, great draft for the Lakers. Uh, They're undrafted free agents and two-way guys guys that they're bringing in. Colin Castleton out of Florida, 6'10", 7'3", wingspan, 16 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 blocks. Great, uh, Great playmaker as a big, very good feel. Lots of grabbing the rebound and going. I see a little. Uh, I see a little bit of Kelly Olynyk in him in that sense, where he throws really good outlet passes and uh, initiates the break, even though he looks like a clunky giraffe out there <laughs> in transition. Uh, not a great jump shooter or three point shooter, but defensively he moves better on the perimeter defensively than a Jay Huff, while also still having the shot blocking the great shot-blocking timing of a Jay Huff. Again, 7'3 wingspan is crazy. Um, Colin Castleton from Florida. We also brought in his Florida teammate, Alex Fudge, who worked out for the Lakers twice. He's a 6'7 athletic explosive wing with defensive potential. Don't look at his stats, 22% from three. They're not going to tell you anything. It's all about his athleticism and defensive potential. And then the other guard... Uh, Colin Castleton got a two-way contract. Alex Fudge got an Exhibit 10, which means he'll play 
for the Lakers in Summer League and will have the opportunity to also play for the South Bay Lakers. And then the last two-way contract, Demoy Hodge out of Missouri, 6'4", 3 and D guard, athletic, tenacious on D. Um, what I like, Tommy, is the fact that he hit 2.93s on seven attempts and shot 40% from three last year, and also 2.6 steals. Now, he's 24 years old, but that's fine. On defense, I mean, people have been saying it reminds you of KCP. I see a little bit of Patrick Beverly as well, but he is like literally three and D six, four guard. But any last thoughts on Colin Demoy fudge? No, <laughs> I mean, I'm excited to see what they do <laughs> in the, uh, in the summer league. But yeah, I mean, I think I'm most intrigued by fudge because like he hasn't, he was not on my radar. At fudge. All. Fudge. Um, I just want to say fudge. My, he was not my radar at all. And you know, kind of looking at him and and watching a little bit of the, of the highlights, I'm excited to see how his athleticism translates. I mean, it's nice to see that we kind of, with the undrafted guys, it seems like there was a focus on getting like defensive potential upside there. So it'll be nice to see how those guys sort of complement, uh, you know, Max Lewis and and uh, Jalen Hutchifino because those are going to be, you know, probably the guys giving us more offense in the summer league. Yep, I agree with you. And we've spent enough time in the past talking about random dudes like Joel Ayayi and Trey Tinkle and then nothing coming of it. But then again, there's also been the Alex Caruso's and Austin Reeves, so we'll never know. Either way, great job by the Bruss brothers, Rob Palinka, the Lakers war room. Great draft day. We'll see what happens from here because the, the offseason and free agency is right around the corner, literally next Friday. So buckle up. We've got some opt-ins team options to decide upon with regards to Mo Bamba and Malik Beasley and I have a feeling with all the random trades happening around the NBA and guys being bought out that we will have some action even before free agency so uh, stay tuned to that please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod if you enjoyed our draft work up until this point please shoot us some five stars on the Spotify app everybody uses Spotify just look us up hit that five star button And if you haven't already, also give us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. With that said, thanks for listening. We will catch you guys during free agency. And Tommy, I will catch you later with Fino and Maxwell. See ya. Peace. Laters. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.